And I hope you picked up your package of questions. If you didn't, then there's some out there um, because I want you to be able to do those this week and come back prepared next week. I've often said that the best thing you hear all Thursday morning may be from somebody in your small group, not from the person standing up here. So I thank each of you um, for participating. You are important to your small group. Today we're going to close our study with a wise woman enjoys life. We're going to end on a high note. Yay. And I have a cartoon. I've been bringing some cartoons about Lucy, the Peanuts character, who uh, thinks she's wise, but she's really just a bossy know-it-all. And I don't know how many of you saw, how many of you saw Sunday's paper, the comic strip with, yeah, I thought it fit perfectly with this lesson on enjoying life. Um, and I know you can't see it, so I'll just tell you what it says. But the first couple of frames is Snoopy, and he's running on ice, and he's sliding, and he's got a big smile, and his ears are blown back. And then Lucy comes on the scene. Hold it. Is this all you have to do? Are you going to spend the whole day sliding back and forth on a piece of ice? Do you think these days were given to you to waste? Doesn't life mean more to you than this? So Snoopy's all sad now, and his ears are down, and he walks off. And Lucy's standing there, next few frames. She's looking around. And all of a sudden, she takes off running, and she slides on the ice, and she has this big grin on her face. And then the last thing is up comes Snoopy, and he's looking at her like, you know, caught you. Sometimes we're like that. We're not sure if we're supposed to enjoy life or not. You know, we're we're sort of hesitant there. This cartoon reminded me of a time a couple years ago in my life. It was probably in February, and I don't know if it was two or three years ago, but it was a big ice day. Y'all probably remember it. I mean, there was ice thick on the roads, and so schools were closed. Nobody went to work. Everybody was in their house. And we live on kind of a pretty steep slope. Our street goes down. And so when it's like that, all the kids come out, and they're sliding down that icy street. And Scott and I are standing at the window, drinking coffee and looking out, and I said, you know, it's a time like this. I wish that we had grandchildren next door so we could be out there playing with them. And he looks at me and he says, Deb, you know, don't, don't do it, don't do it. He knew what I was thinking, and I said, I've got to do that. So I ran and put on my um, one-piece, out-of-date ski suit, and I got the little round toboggan-like sled thing the kids used to use, and I went outside. You know, I was begging Scott to come, and he's like, no, are you kidding? You're going to hurt yourself. And so he's standing at the window, and I go outside. I get on my little round sled toboggan thing, and I push off down that hill, and uh, immediately I was out of control. I mean, I was going way faster than I thought I was going to be going, and the thing kind of slid around, so I'm going backwards, and I'm going full blast. I start to curve over before I get to the end of the street and kind of slow down. I'm going full blast and just slam into the curb and go flying into the yard. All the kids scatter. They're gone. They're running. They're thinking, who is this old lady sliding down here, and now she's killed herself? And Scott comes running out of the house. Because he's thinking, oh my, you know, and I'm sitting there laughing. And he's like, are you okay? Are you? And I wasn't sure if I was okay or not, but it was uh, sure fun. I don't know if that's a very good picture of a wise woman enjoying life, but I sure did enjoy that that morning on the ice. I tried it again because I thought I can keep it in control. Anyway, you may not realize that Solomon says enjoy life six different times. In Ecclesiastes. I thought that was amazing from this book that we often consider melancholy and gloomy and kind of a downer. 
Solomon says it six times. How is he able to say, enjoy life six different times? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. But to get to this lesson, we really had to go through those first four lessons that we had. Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes to pass on what he found in his search for life's meaning. What is the wise approach to life? We've defined wisdom as a skillful living. It's that God-given ability to perceive the true nature of a matter and to implement the will of God on that matter. True wisdom involves God. So our first foundational principle was a wise woman has an eternal perspective. With wisdom, we do not just look at life under the sun apart from God, but we look at the really big picture under the Son of God, and we have a godly eternal perspective. Next, we established that to live as a wise woman, we needed to trust the heart of God. We must know God and believe what we know to be true about God. This is an ongoing process, knowing God more and more every day, becoming more intimate with him so that we can believe that God is a God of order, that he is good and sovereign and eternal and just and mysterious. And he's also merciful and faithful and loving. We want to be able to trust God so that we can anchor our lives on God. And then we're ready to live as wise women that consider pain thoughtfully. We talked about how we respond in wisdom to those hard and difficult and painful times that come to each of us. And we said that we need to have an eternal perspective and to trust the heart of God. And last week, we talked about a wise woman chooses her words carefully. Our speech is reflective of our heart. A wise woman has a heart full of God. And so our words edify. They build up others and they glorify God. That was a convicting lesson for me. I went away thinking that I want to fill my heart more and more with God so that my words reflect him. Wise words that are gracious and life-giving instead of critical words that are destructive. A few weeks ago, I told you that my life verse is from Ecclesiastes 7, verse 14. And it says, when times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider God has made one as well as the other. We've talked about the bad times, and so today we are going to talk about the first part of that verse. When times are good, be happy. A wise woman enjoys life. I have on your outline Ecclesiastes 8.1, and it says, Wisdom brightens man's face and changes its heart appearance. With wisdom, our face is softened and bright. We look happy. I was talking about this verse with a friend, and she said, Hey, that's cheaper than a facelift. There's a motivation for wisdom. It brightens our face. A wise woman finds the sweetness in life, and it shows on her face. Let's turn to Ecclesiastes. We're going to be skipping through Ecclesiastes today, but we're going to start with chapter 12. Verse 12, we're going to start at the back and kind of move forward. I've told you before, I sort of like that. And Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verse 12 and 13 says this. Actually, we're going to start in verse 13, I'm sorry. 12.13, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including 
every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Enjoying life must begin with fearing God. With fearing God. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we've said that every single week. And the reason is because we must understand and do this. Fear God. Fear God. Otherwise, everything that we try to learn is truly meaningless. Fear of the Lord must be our first step. It must be our highest priority. To fear God is that attitude of reverence and awe that his people show to him because they love him and they respect his power and his goodness. A holy fear of God does not make us run away from God, but instead it brings us to our knees in humble submission to God. Oswald Chambers um, says in his devotional that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. I think he must have been referring to the verse in Isaiah on your verse sheet, 8, 12, and 13. And it says, do not call conspiracy. Everything these people call conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. And fear of the Lord implies a salvation experience. And what I mean by that is that you have a relationship with God made possible by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He shed his blood to wash away our sin, those imperfections that keep us separated from a holy God, a holy and perfect God. And when we trust Christ for this cleansing, then we enter into an eternal relationship with him. It came to me this week, I thought if there's anyone in this room that hasn't done this very first step and you are thinking about it, you have questions about it, please come up and talk to me after um, this is over today or there will be others up here standing that you might want to talk to or your small group leader. But don't leave today without talking about someone if you have not made that decision to trust Christ for an eternal relationship. When we enter into that relationship with Christ, then we can know God and we can follow God. We have a desire to be obedient to God. We are mindful of his will and his purpose. The fear of the Lord is what enables us to enjoy life. You trust the heart of God. You believe that he has good things for you. You look to God and to no other idols, those things that we put in front of God that do not bring satisfaction. We notice the blessings from God, the relationships that enrich our lives, the purposeful work that he has for us. We are content with with, with what God has given us, with what God has, uh, how God has made us, how he has shaped us. And when we fear the Lord, we can banish anxiety and we can live wisely, enjoying today. If we fear God and we walk by faith, We will not try to escape or just endure life. Instead, we will enjoy life and we will receive it happily as a gift that God has given us. In Ecclesiastes 9, you might want to just turn over to that. Verse 7, this is one of the six places where Solomon tells us to enjoy life. And I want to read this to you. I'm going to read uh, starting with verse 7 in chapter 9. 
Go, eat your food with gladness, and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for it is now that God favors what you do. Always be clothed in white. Now, sometimes that can mean purity, but in this case, it probably means the opposite of wearing dark mourning clothes. And always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. I love the way that Eugene Peterson said it in the message, and so I want to read this to you as well. The same verse says, Seize life. Eat bread with gusto. So much for the South Beach diet. (laughs) Drink wine with a robust heart. Oh, yes, God takes pleasure in your pleasure. Dress festively every morning. Don't skimp on colors and scarves. This is my visual aid today to remind me and to remind all of us to enjoy life. Don't skimp on colors and scarves. Relish life with the spouse you love each and every day of your precarious life. Each day is God's gift. Enjoy life. Let's go on and look at those things that Solomon tells us God has given us to enjoy life. And we're going to start with uh, chapter 4. Turn over there. We're going to look at verse 9. Now, we just read that he said, enjoy life with your spouse. Enjoy the spouse you love. Do you see your spouse, those of you that are married, as a gift from God? Do you thank God for this gift that he's given you and your spouse? These verses in chapter 4, some people think they refer to a marriage relationship, but actually I think they're better understood as talking about friendship, companionship that God gives us. So um, read along as I read out loud, starting in verse 9. Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. Enjoy life with friends. God made us relational people, first of all, to have a relationship with him. But then he gives us friends. He gives us people to have relationship with. And it says two are better than one, first of all, when working. And we know that's true. We usually can get um, twice as much done when someone's helping us, and we have twice as much fun. I hope some of you talked about that in your small groups today. Scott and I have the privilege of uh, being a part of a young married Sunday school class called Link. We love it. it they are, they are a, a, a blast. They're all having babies, and I get to hold them, and it's just so much fun. And a couple weeks ago, one of the couples invited us graciously to their house for dinner. And when we got there, they have just bought a new house, and they've been working hard fixing it up, and it's darling. And they had to fix the ceiling, and they made it, had to raise it in the living room. And at the top is this huge, big, heavy beam. And so Scott said to the husband, how did you guys get that beam in place? Did you call somebody in to do that for you? And he said, no. Another couple from the link class had come over to help them. And this other guy's pretty strong and hefty. And between the two of them, they were able to manhandle that beam into place. He couldn't have done it alone. But with a friend, he was able to get that done. Two are better than one when walking. I have a friend who I've walked with. I thought today, I think it's over 20 years that we've been walking together, walking and talking. And as we walk and talk, we encourage one another. And if one of us falls down, the other one can um, help her up. Now, 
she's never fallen down. But I, on occasion, have tripped and, uh, and fallen. I think it's because I walk faster. But anyway, she, she has helped me up. It also says that two are better than one to keep warm. And we know that that's true. If you've ever gotten in bed with somebody, we, um, you know, it's like getting in bed with a heater. Two people can keep um, each other warm when alone. That's kind of hard to do. Our friends keep us warm, maybe not physically. Maybe physically. I see some of you on some days huddled up next to each other when it's freezing cold in here. But emotionally and spiritually, we keep each other warm. And we also watch over one another. Friends watch over one another. I have had friends that have prayed for me, have prayed for my husband, have prayed for my children for years. And I don't know where I would be today without those prayers from my friends individual friends who have watched out for me by lifting me up in prayer. My mom's group has prayed for my children since they were in junior high, and they're now 26 and 28, so that's a long time. And before that, I had a friend in the neighborhood, and we would get together and pray for our elementary school kids. I love the story of David and Jonathan in 1 Samuel. What a friendship they had. Let me remind you that Jonathan was the son of King Saul, and King Saul was the first king of Israel. So Jonathan was really, you could say, next in line for the throne. But Saul had disobeyed God, had turned away from God, and so God had removed his spirit from Saul, and he had anointed David to be the next king of Israel. Jonathan loved God, and he loved his friend David. And instead of being jealous, he instead encouraged David, and he watched over David, and he helped him. And when David was fleeing from his father Saul, because Saul was jealous of David, there were times when Jonathan would help him. And one of those is on your verse sheet, and I just want to read that to you. It's 1 Samuel 23. can't find my verse sheet. 16 and 17, and it says... And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horesh, and he helped him find strength in God. He helped him find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. He helped David find strength in the Lord. I hope that you have at least one friend that helps you find strength in God. But if you don't, then ask God today to give you a friend like that that can help you find strength in the Lord and look around and see who you can be a friend to, a friend like Jonathan, and help someone else find strength in the Lord. Those of you that have a friend like that, pray for them, thank God for them, and nurture those relationships. Enjoy life with friends. Let's look next at chapter 8. We're going to go to verse 15 to get our next point here. Chapter 8, verse 15. Let me read it. So I commend the enjoyment of life because nothing is better for a man under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany him in his work all the days of the life, all the days of the life God has given him under the sun. Enjoy life through work. We see this uh, in several other places. You don't have to turn there, but just let me read to you. Chapter 3, verse 22, it says this. So I saw that there is nothing better for a man than to enjoy his work, because that is his lot. For who can God bring 
for who can bring him to see what will happen after him. And then chapter 2, verse 24 says, A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God, for without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? God gives us a gift in our work. God is redeeming all of life for the Christian, and that's including our work. Colossians 3.17 on your verse sheet says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And Colossians 3.23 and 24 says sort of the same thing. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whoops. Do it, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Some of us have a job outside our home. Do you see that job as a blessing? Working unto the Lord? Bring God into your work so that it may become a way for you to enjoy life. Some of us are at home um, raising small children. Or some of us are in that life stage where we are taking care of aging parents. This work can be tiring and stressful and continual. In fact, the very first time I ever heard that phrase, 24-7, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, I thought to myself, that describes a mother with small children. That is continual 24-7 work. Even this, work unto the Lord. Ask God that you might have wisdom to enjoy life through this work. And then in Ephesians 2.10, we read this. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are also created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared individually for each of us to do. Being involved in this kind of work may bring the greatest blessing and joy. If you don't know what that is for you, ask God to give you the wisdom to see those good works that he has prepared for you. Maybe it's setting up or cleaning up on Thursday morning Bible study. Maybe it's teaching children on Sunday mornings. Maybe it's caring for your neighbor or providing dinner for a sick friend or volunteering at the Union Gospel Mission or the Presbyterian Night Shelter or maybe sending Christmas boxes to orphans in Africa or sending shoes to Mayan children or praying for the persecuted church or thousands of other things, individual works that God has created for you to do so that we might experience blessing and enjoy life. I saw a program on TV. This is always interesting to me when the secular world gets um, involved in this, but it was a story about volunteering and how volunteering and helping others could help you, not only emotionally, but also physically. And so they had this room full of people, some with high blood pressures, stressed out lives, some were um, depressed people, some had anger issues, and they assigned them all these volunteer jobs. Some were out in the schools, some were in the community, and for a period of time, they did this volunteer work on a regular basis. And then they brought them back in to the uh, room, and they were talking to them. And you would not believe the change in these people. Blood pressures were lowered. 
They felt less stressed. They were happy. You could see them smiling. The anger issues were gone. Their depression had lifted. They were happy and enjoying life because they had been working and volunteering and helping others. Enjoy life through your work. Thank God for the work that he has given you. Let's turn now to chapter 5, and I'm going to read uh, verses 18 through 20. Then I realized that it is good and proper for a man to eat and drink and to find satisfaction in his toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given him, for this is his lot. Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, we accept to accept his lot and be happy in his work. This is a gift of God. He seldom reflects on the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with gladness of heart. This looks like a picture of contentment to me. We can enjoy life when we're content. Being content means being satisfied with what God has given to us in this life. And this contentment is a gift of God. A wise woman enjoys life by being content. When we want more, when we want something different, when we want what others have, we become discontent. And we're really saying to God, what you have for me is not good enough. In 2 Peter 1.3, we read this. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. His divine power has given us everything that we need for life and for godliness. You know, Solomon has much to say about wealth in the book of Ecclesiastes, and one of the places that he talks about it is just right above this passage we read. And let me read starting in verse 10. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This, too, is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? I was thinking about that the last time I had to dust. All this stuff that I'm just looking at and dusting. The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much. But the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when he has a son, there is nothing left for him. Naked a man comes from his mother's womb, and as he comes, so he departs. This, too, is a grievous evil. As a man comes, so he departs, and what does he gain, since he toils for the wind? All his days he eats in darkness, with great frustration affliction, and anger. The person who can accept his lot, his portion, is content, and he's able to enjoy life. The person who never has enough, he's like this person that we just read about in verse 17, eating in darkness with great frustration and affliction and anger. There is no light, there is no peace, there is no joy. They cannot enjoy life. Greed and envy blocks contentment, wanting more, wanting what others have, or maybe we envy who they are. We envy that they are pretty or young or energetic or outgoing or tall or short. 
We envy their position. We envy their influence or their lifestyle. There's all kinds of things that we envy of others. When I looked up contentment in my topical um, Bible, it says, see coveting. Because coveting is the exact opposite of contentment. Coveting is wanting what someone else has. And envy can lead us to coveting. The other C word that kills contentment is comparison. Comparison is the death of contentment. When we compare our life, our looks, our possessions, our skills with the next guy, then we will end up wanting what God has given them and becoming discontent, unhappy, angry, frustrated, and dark, unable to enjoy life. The secret to being content is to love the Lord and accept and enjoy what he has given you. Love the Lord and accept and enjoy what he has given you. I read a quote that said, Contentment is not getting what you want. Contentment is wanting what you get. Wanting what you get. And Warren Wearsby says in his uh, book, uh, Ecclesi- uh, Commentary on Ecclesiastes, called Be Satisfied, he says this, If we focus more on the gifts than on the giver, we are guilty of idolatry. If we accept his gifts but complain about them, we're guilty of ingratitude. If we hoard his gifts and will not share them with others, we're guilty of indulgence. But if we yield to his will and use what he gives us for his glory, then we can enjoy life and be satisfied. Contentment really leads into my next point, and that is enjoy life without anxiety. And I see that in verse 11, in chapter 11, verse 10. And I, I love this. The first time when I was studying Ecclesiastes, I think it might have been back in the summer when I was thinking about teaching this, and I came to this uh, verse 10 in chapter 11, and let me read it. So then, banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body, for youth and vigor are meaningless. Actually, the word there when it says meaningless is talking about fleeting And we know that's true. Youth and vigor are fleeting. But it says, banish anxiety from your heart. Enjoy life without anxiety. How do we banish anxiety? I hope you all had some good conversations in your small group. But one way is to learn the secret of contentment. Another way is to trust the heart of God, to anchor ourselves in that supportive love of God. Remember, God's character, that he is sovereign and powerful with a plan for each of us, that he is good and he wants our good. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your cares on him because God cares for you. Cast all your cares on him. Maybe what you want to do in giving these cares and concerns to God is actually get a box I've read about this before, and you literally write down your concern, and you fold it up, and you put it in that box, and it symbolizes that you are giving your concern to God, that you're saying to God, I'm trusting you, Lord. In Linda Dillow's book, Calm My Anxious Heart, she has this poem that says, Two women looked from prison bars, one saw mud, the other stars. We must look up to God. If we just look out, 
at the things that are under the sun, we're going to see mud. We're We're going to become more and more anxious. We must look to God, trust his love and his power and his will to banish our anxiety. You know, there are many wonderful psalms that help you look up to see God. And one of them is Psalm 33. And I had that in your homework. And I just want to say that it's, I think it's a good thing if you find a psalm that really helps you see God in those hard times. Put it in the front of your Bible because sometimes in the midst of anxiety we forget what that psalm is. And so put banish anxiety and then that psalm that you love to turn to. I want to tell you a story about God's sovereign plan and his goodness with regard to Psalm 33 in my life. And I want to start by telling you that I wrote the questions for this homework today weeks ago, um, actually in the middle of December. And this weekend, I um, had something that was of great concern uh, in my life, something that was causing me sadness and anxiety and concern. And so... I began to lift that up to God, and when I went to bed Sunday night, I didn't sleep very well that night. I kept waking up, and I would keep praying and giving this um, concern to the Lord. And when I woke up Monday morning, I uh, got up, and I once again prayed for this um, sad situation uh, in my life and and gave that over to God. And then I was determined that I was going to work on this lesson for today. And lots of times when I do that, I begin by getting out the homework that you all are looking at, and I go through the questions and, and write the answers. And so I started to do that, and I got to question two, and it said the attributes of God, and it had Psalm 33. And I thought to myself, that's interesting, because that's not, I'm not familiar with that Psalm. I usually, when I'm talking about the attributes of God, I use Psalm 145, or, or, um, you know, look at Psalm 19 or, or another psalm. And I thought, that's interesting, Psalm 33. But I hurried on, wrote down some attributes, and went on. And then I got to the question about banish anxiety. And I had some references for you to look at there as well. And I knew the other references that I had listed, except there again was Psalm 33, verses 20 through 22. And I thought, I, I better look and see, what is this Psalm 33? And so I turned to Psalm 33, and I began to read... And the whole psalm is beautiful, but I put those verses 20 through 22 on your verse sheet. And it said this, We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. I began to feel that peace come over me that there's no explanation for. And it was like God was saying to me, Deb, my unfailing love is over you. My unfailing love is over this situation. You can put your hope in my unfailing love. You better believe that I'm never going to forget Psalm 33. When we look up and see God, he will banish our anxiety. Enjoy life without anxiety. And my last point, enjoy life now. Let's turn to, uh, well, we're at Ecclesiastes 11. Let's look up to those verses. We're going to read 7 through 9. Light is sweet, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. 
However many years a man may live, let him enjoy them all. But let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. Now this is talking about to the older person. To take, do not take for granted even one day. Live all the days, because we never know what tomorrow may bring. And then to the young man, he says, Be happy, young man, while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things, God will bring you to judgment. When Solomon reached his conclusion that our purpose is to fear God and obey his commands, he saw the meaning in life. He saw that life was a gift from God regulated by his word and by his commandments. And Solomon knew that a person could enjoy life and enjoy life one day at a time accepting what God has in store, knowing that tomorrow could be different. So a wise woman enjoys life now. In those verses 7 and 8, how sweet is the sunshine, that message is telling us, do not take, those of us that are older, don't take even one day for granted. And I talked this week to um, a lady, actually it was Martha James, some of you may know her, she taught Bible study in Thursday night for years. She had her 80th birthday on Tuesday, and when I was talking to her and she was telling me all the things that were going on, she said, I am living each day to the hilt And I thought, praise God, praise God, that's what he wants us to do. Enjoy life each day. And to the young, in verses 9 and 10, he's saying, live life, enjoy life, but live it responsibly, for everyone is answerable to God. And then in chapter 12, verse 1, we read, remember your creator in the days of your youth. He's telling the young person, remember God. And remember means much more there than just remember. It means pursue God, connect to God, grab hold of him when you are young. Honor him, enjoy him while you are young. And then Solomon goes on to talk about the older person and the aging person. I'm not going to read those verses, but you should read them. They're very interesting, the descriptive ways he talks about old age. And in verse 6 he says, remember him. And now he's talking to the older person. Before the silver cord is severed or the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring or the wheel broken at the well. That's talking about death. The older person is called to remember God as well. Do not stop pursuing God. I once heard an older person, much older than I am right now, say, I want to finish strong. And it was interesting to me because I just thought that was kind of a given. You know, when you're young, you sort of struggled with pursuing God. But when you were older, that was a given. You pursued God. The older I get, I realize that that's not a given. As you get older, you get tired. You become worn out. You physically kind of start falling apart. But even now, especially now, we want to pursue God. We want to follow him and walk with him and enjoy life. So none of us should waste the present by looking back and regretting those mistakes in the past or maybe looking back and longing for those good old days. And we don't want to waste the present by looking forward and constantly dreaming about the future. Warren Wiersbe says it like this, Live today in the will of God and not be paralyzed by yesterday or hypnotized by tomorrow. In both of these situations, looking back or looking forward, we're letting the present slip away from us. It slips away, and then it's gone. 
A wise woman lives joyfully in the present, realizing the brevity and the uncertainty of life. And life is unpredictable, and it can be short. So we want to enjoy it now. Jesus tells us in John 10.10, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full, abundant, full life. A wise woman enjoys life now. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, you are good and you are good all the time. You are sovereign and loving and faithful. Father, you do give us good gifts so that we can enjoy life. Father, I thank you for those and I ask that you would make us wise women that can enjoy life now, realizing that tomorrow may bring something different. Father, thank you for the wisdom that you have shown us throughout this book of Ecclesiastes. And I pray, Lord, that it would go deep into our hearts. Father, that we would walk fearing you, loving you, obeying you, wanting to be more like Jesus every day. Father, that we might walk in wisdom. Father, we love you. We lift our love up to you. And I pray now that as we go to this luncheon, we might love one another in your name. Thank you, Father, for friends. Thank you for work. Thank you for the contentment that you give us as a gift, for all those things in our life, that we can look to you, Lord, and banish anxiety. You are a good God, and we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.